Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians a prayer for you. It says this, I pray. Close your eyes where you hear this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling on your life. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints laid out for you? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all these things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all notice this morning the fullness of Christ wants to fill you the fullness of his power the fullness of his love the fullness of his mercy the fullness of his joy the fullness of the king of kings of the lord of lords the greatest power in the whole universe wants to fill you and he doesn't want to just stop at you he wants to fill all in all he wants to fill your house he wants to fill your friends he wants to fill your workplace he wants to fill whole he wants to fill this nation who through you because you are full in all in all and he just wants to flow through you wherever you go just continue to be filled of his presence fullness if you're feeling tired this morning you're not full if you're feeling scared this morning you're not full if you're feeling ah, if you've lost hope this morning you're not full the fullness of his presence in his human body to fill you with his joy he wants to fill you with his life he wants to fill you with his health he wants to fill you with his dreams he wants to fill you with his passions he wants to fill you with love 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 oh Jesus Jesus just wherever you are raise your hands to heaven raise your hands to heaven and just say, Holy Spirit, I am welcome. I welcome you here. Come fill me. Come fill me. Your fullness of your presence. Come fill me with the fullness of your presence. I surrender to you. I give my life to you. Fill me with your presence. Holy Spirit, I ask that as I preach, as I share what I believe you've given for me this morning, that your words will come out my mouth. And they'll be just like the words of Jesus full of spirit and full of life.
so this is this is where we grow up. This is where we grow up. Without losing this connection, it's not the music which connect, which which is the connection. Without losing that connection, I want to share one or two things with you, and then I want to get right back into His presence. The verse I just read with you, you can take your seats. And he will put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You are the church. He fills the church all in all. But we need to know what that church is. Thank you, worship team. That was amazing. <laughs> if this wasn't burning on my heart, we'll be carrying on. What is the church? When I say the word church, what does, it, what does your mind fill with? Do you see your local village church? Wow, out of stone and mortar. Do you see a building? Do you see it as a, a place of worship? Do you see the clergy, the priests, the leaders of a church? All those three are definitions of the word church. However, if I was to ask you guys here today, I bet the majority of you would not give me that answer back. You would give me the answer, well, it's the people of God, isn't it? That's the church. And that's because you've been reading your Bibles again, isn't it? And you know that the word church in the Bible refers to people, not buildings. It refers to the chosen people of God. Those who have given their lives to Jesus, they become the church. And yet, I bet you still said this morning, hey, I'm going to church today. And I bet you still thought about coming in this building. Well, where does the word church come from? I want to take us on a little historical journey because we see life and you will see your future and your destiny with the lens that you have in front of you. What's the lens that you get? Well, that's, that's made up of all your experiences and all the things you've been taught and things that you've gone through in life and things you've been taught. And so when someone says church, you'll immediately have a whole load of things come into your mind and you will see church through that lens. Where did the word church come from? Well, in 300 AD, uh, the Christians started to get organized and they started to stop just going around and using random buildings. You know, they stopped hiring out the village hall and maybe the school building and they said, you know what, worshiping God is so good, maybe we better build a building and have a building dedicated to worshiping God. Sounds a great idea to me. And they called those buildings, and I'll get the Greek word wrong because I don't speak Greek, kuriakon or kuriakos. And it basically means this, a building, well, a building that is dedicated to God. It belongs to God. We're going to build a building in Kingswood and we're going to dedicate it to the service of God. And that they called kuriakon which I'm guessing because I'm probably saying it wrong, which we then, as, as language changes, becomes the word kirk or the word kirsch, which ends up meaning, in our English language today, the word church. So is church a building? Yes, it is. Is church a place of worship? Yes, it is. After 300 AD, as, as these churches started to grow up and grow in influence, it didn't just become the building either. It used to become the people who ran the church. The, you could call them priests, you could call them leaders, you could call them clergy. The people who ran the church also started to be, to be called church. That's completely 
understandable. If you say, I'm going to go and talk to the bank about a mortgage, I don't expect you to walk into the bank building and stand up against a wall and go, hi, I want a mortgage. I expect you to talk to the people who run the bank. So when you say, I'm going to go and talk to the bank, you're saying, I'm going to go and talk to the people who run the bank. Exactly. When, I go to, when I'm going to church, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to speak to the people that might go to speak to church. I'm going to speak to the leaders of the church. That's how it, it came about. And then we get to the Reformation, and the brilliant thing about the Reformation is, suddenly, in, in about 1500s or so, the Bible in England is suddenly translated into English. It's been in Latin. Most of the population don't speak Latin. They walk into a church service, they haven't got a clue what's going on, and suddenly people are translating the Bible in English, and to the priest's absolute disdain, all around the country, in, in this country, all around England, suddenly in bars and taverns, people are talking about the word of God. Why? Because they finally understand it. And the priests are horrified that the sanctified word of God is being talked about in such a dirty place like a pub. We would love that. But the early translations didn't contain the word church. And I bet if you look, but I bet if you look at your Bible, your Bible will have the word church in it over a hundred times. Now the word which we get church from, kuriakon or kuriakos, appears in the Bible just twice. It appears once in Corinthians to mean the Lord's Supper, as in the Supper of the Lord, the Supper dedicated to the Lord. And it appears once in Revelation to say the day of the Lord, as in the day that is consecrated of the Lord. It's of the Lord. That's what that word means. The word that we have translated as church is a different word completely, and it's called ecclesia. Who put your hand up if you've heard that word before, ecclesia? Yeah, put your hands down. That's good. You're, hopefully I'm not telling you how to suck eggs and you're going to get something out this morning. Now the ecclesia, I'll just read this definition here. The ecclesia was the name given to the governmental assembly of the city of Athens, duly convoked or called out people by proper officers and possessing all political power, including even juridical functions. So literally, the ecclesia means the called out ones, and you'll hear that time and time again. But in the context of society at that time, the ecclesia meant government. And it didn't just mean government, it meant people from the, the place where how it happened in Athens is you got your citizenship, and when you got your citizenship, you were called out to vote in the ecclesia. It was a kind of democracy that we would see now and recognize as government, called out ones from the people, come and rule the people, give judgment over the people, rather than a king and a queen somewhere. It is, it is a government of the people. This, I can prove to you, is still the case in Bible times, because in Acts 19, the Bible uses Ecclesia three times and doesn't once talk about the church. In Acts 19, Paul is in trouble again. The Apostle Paul's in trouble again. And he's up in front of the local government in Ephesus. And three times it describes the local government in Ephesus and it uses the word ecclesia. So in biblical times, ecclesia meant government. So how come in your Bible does it say church and not government? Well, that's another historical story. In about the 1600s, and, and sorry for rushing through this, but my time is short. Through the 1600s, King James 
commissioned what would become the 1611 King James Bible, which many people have as the standard Bible, the best Bible ever. It became the, the standard version for England, and that was the point of it. Why did King James do that? Well, he was living in a very troublesome time. The church had just gone you know, through, through the last few years, had gone through the Reformation. They had, they had kicked out the Catholics and put in their own C, no, C of E church, a Protestant church. And then they'd gone back to Catholicism again. And then they'd gone back to Protestantism again. And then it was a whole battle and lots and lots of people died at stakes. It was a very turmoil, horrible time with lots of kings, lots of political chaos. King James didn't want that in his kingdom. He wanted stability. That's, that's wise, isn't it? But he has a problem. He's got his Church of England... And then he's got these papists which don't recognize him because, well, the real authority is the Pope in Rome, so you know nothing. And then on the other side, he's got these people called Puritans. And they have the audacity to believe that true spiritual authority doesn't come through the king, but it comes from the word of God. So wherever the king says something and it doesn't stand up against the word of God, well, we're going with this, thank you very much. That's what the Puritans stood for. And do you know what? The Puritans, who were a community which hardly ever got in trouble, they didn't drink, they were actually quite boring, to be honest. Um, they would never have a brawl or a, you know, a party or anything like this. They're, they're model citizens never caused England any problem apart from this one thing. They say that the authority of the word of God is greater than the authority of the king. And for that, they are persecuted by the king. So what King James does is he comes with this plan to bring one Bible to the church. All congregations have one Bible. It's going to be called the King James Bible. And when he gets to the word ecclesia, which means local government of the people, in other words, a bit more like the House of Commons that we have today, he says, no, don't translate it like that. Don't tra translate it as governmental assembly or congregation or anything political or every go anything governmental. I need to keep control. Translate it as church. And why was he saying that? He was saying because he's not saying any church. He's saying the church as in the church of England at the time. As in the authority of scripture, the authority of, of God comes through the church of England and me who's king over church of England rather than you just meeting together and hearing from God. And that's why you have the word church in your Bibles. Now, King James was, did this very wisely because uh, only about 30, 40 years later, a man called Oliver Cromwell comes along, a Puritan, and, they, and we have a civil war in this country. It, King James was there, but that's what King James was trying to stop. And guess what? They get rid of the king. And Oliver Cromwell becomes the figurehead of this movement, a Puritan, and they, they basically transform England into what they think a biblical society should be. So they do things very excitingly like ban Christmas. So Christian gets in power and bans Christmas. Why? Because he thought it was too commercial. Ban games because he thought it was too, too, much, too sinful. Not a very nice time to live, I don't think. I don't think I've enjoyed that. But that's only what they do. But why am I telling you this? Because... Because you've got this word church and the history of being in this country and the teaching of it, you are looking for a lens of what the church is. And I want to take that lens off for a minute and go back to what did Jesus mean when he meant church? Or what did Jesus mean when he meant ecclesia? Because that's what we really want to know. What, what did Jesus mean? Well, I go to lots of conferences about how to run church. Do you know what the frustrating thing about it is? They hardly give any Bible teaching on how to run church. 
Why? Because Jesus doesn't really tell you how to sit people in rows and how to do rotors and how to do stewards and how, even how to preach or even how to put a worship band together. It's not there. Because Jesus never, never was thinking about this when he, when he called Ecclesia. What did Jesus teach? He taught people how to live. Not how to behave in a church service. He, he said how to live. What else did he do? He went around meeting the needs of those who, need, who had needs. Breaking people out of prisons. Who needed breaking out of prisons? Not the really bad people. Don't worry about that. Murder and stuff. Um, people who were sick. Giving them healing. And the thing he kept banging on about. And if you really look. The Bible does this all the time. Injustice. Coming against injustice the whole time. That was his big things. And with all that teaching, he would put around it, and the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. So much so was he talking about the kingdom of God that everyone would ask him, so is your kingdom coming now? The Pharisees would ask him. When he goes to Jerusalem, just before he's just about to be crucified, they're going, is this time for your kingdom to be established? What are they meaning? Are you going to overthrow the Romans and start your own kingdom? They weren't thinking heavenly. Are you going to overthrow the Romans and start your own kingdom? Why were they thinking that? Because Jesus kept talking about his kingdom. He also kept saying, no, don't be stupid. It's not about an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly one. I'm, I'm, submit yourself to the Romans. Don't do that. And I'm not telling you this morning that we need to overthrow our government. In fact, I would love our local MP from whatever party they are to come here and for us to honour them and to give them as much help as we can because I want to support the government no matter which, which party's in. So Jesus was talking government all the time, God's government coming on earth. And the first time he uses the word ecclesia is in Matthew 16. And you might want to turn there, Matthew 16 verse 8. I know this is very teachy, but I am going somewhere. I'm just trying to reprogram thinking for a little bit so you, you see what Jesus was doing slightly different. And then we're going to go back to the fullness of him in you. Matthew 16, verse 18 says this. I also say to you, that you are Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Now, I, I looked at this verse and I was thinking... Where does it say that? Where does it prophesy that in Isaiah? Jesus normally did stuff, and he normally, it was normally prophesied before in Isaiah. And I bet you can't find a Bible reference for it in your, in your Bible. You probably have Matthew cross-references in it. What's Jesus talking about? It's talking about, I'm going to build my church or my ecclesia, and it's going to ever increase. It doesn't matter whatever comes against it, it's going to continue to grow and build. Well, if you change church to government, maybe you'll get it. I'm going to build my government and it will increase and it will build. No matter what comes against it, it will keep to build and build and build. What does Isaiah say? There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. He wasn't talking about meeting on a Sunday morning to have a good time. He was talking about meeting as a government. The increase of the government, the increase of his government will know no end. Okay, let me, let me wreck another Bible verse for you. When we host him, we love to use this one. When two or three are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst. And we use that in a service like this and we go, oh, it's great. We, we come together and, and he's just there in his midst and we can feel his presence and it's all goosebumps and lovely. 
Well, in the Roman Empire, and remember Jesus was in the Roman Empire, they had some expressions. Now, what the Romans did to conquer whole cities and towns is that they would Romanize them. They didn't try and win everything by war. They had a great war machine if, uh, you know, if they needed to use it, but they would go from city to city and try and transform them and make them into Rome. So in this country, in England, even after the Romans left, there were people still living like Romans. Why? Because they'd been converted to being a Roman. As in, well, the way of Roman life is so much better. We have underfloor heating. We have water to drink. There's so much benefits for being a Roman. And the laws are so much better. What they were going around was preaching Roman values, Roman way of life, and saying, this is so much better than living in your hovels. Come up to where we are. The Roman Empire went big because of that, not so much because of the military might. If you stood in their way, then they'll take you out. But they preferred to just come in and make you Roman. And the people who were tasked to do that were certain generals called apostles. Heard that word before, haven't you? Apostles. So Pontius Pilate was an apostle in Jerusalem. What was he there to do to make Jerusalem be just like Rome? So Jesus has got all these guys, and he's calling them apostles. And then there was this saying in the Roman Empire. In an area where there is two or three cities, and they have become Romanized, it is just like the emperor is walking the streets. Do you mean Jesus didn't come up with that phrase? No, he nicked it. That's just taken the whole gloss of it, hasn't it? He nicked it. What is he talking about? He's not talking about, hey, we've come together and now will be a lovely sense of the presence. He says, no, when two or three of you are gathered, I am there as emperor. I am there as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. I am there not just to give you a good time, but I am there to change a city. I am there to transform a city. So when you've got two or three Christians walking together down the street, he is there in the midst, and it's as though Jesus is walking the streets of your town, transforming your town into what? Into heaven itself. Yeah. That what he's talking, it's even better, isn't it now? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. It's the Roman idea, but it's also God's idea. As in, I want wherever my people are to be, to be just like heaven. Wherever my people meet, it's going to be just like heaven. Wherever my people are in a certain city, it's going to be just like heaven. What's that mean? Well, healing happens. It's talking about transformation. Let's go for Isaiah 61. You're very quiet. I hope that's because you're getting this. Isaiah 61, Jesus said this of himself, and he also said it was our commission as well. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, and he, yeah, to, comfort, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, and giving them a garland of ashes instead of, sorry, a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting so they will be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord that he may be glorified then 
They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many, many generations. Why do we have encounters with God? Why do we want to see people encounter God? So that they go away and build the city. What do I mean by that? Well, they, well where a city is wrecked with prostitution, the church stands up and prostitution is eradicated. Where there is drug abuse, drug abuse is eradicated. Where, where there is poor, where there is needy, where people are dying of hunger, the church steps up, feeds them, and through that, those people rebuild the city. Jesus isn't just talking about having a nice time for you. He's saying, no, I'm going to encounter you so that you can transform where you live. I'm going to, trans I'm going to encounter you so that we can transform this city of whole. I'm going to encounter you so we can transform this nation. What is our, our vision? Inspiring revival, transforming communities. Why do we go to, to Gaul and to Brough and, and to Collingham? It's to... Bring an encounter with God, but it's not just that, it's to transform Kingswood, Gaul, Cottingham, Triffield. I'm not talking about a transformation without an encounter. You see, we were singing, How Great Is Our God. Imagine what the whole would sing if we eradicated crime, if we eradicated drug abuse, if we eradicated, if we build families back together, then whole will sing, how great is our God? How great is our God? Look what he's done. You see, when we're meeting here together, we are not just meeting for a nice meeting. We are here to change whole. We have met here this morning to change whole, to change this nation. Now, we may be singing songs. I know that when we praise, that has an effect on the atmosphere. That does have an effect, but it doesn't just stop here. Because you haven't come to church, you are church. You are the government of God. What's that mean? My responsibility is to rule and reign in life. So, so many, so many times we get people coming to us and they're going, I'm struggling with this, I'm having this problem. And I'm thinking, go and rule and reign in life. It's like I get people coming to me and go, maybe it's in their revive team, and, and they come to me and say, you know, so-and-so, um, their dishwasher's broken, and I think the church would be really good if the church went and bought another one. And my reaction is, yes, it would be great if the church went and bought another one. Well, can I leave it with you? Why, what am I doing? You are the church. You are the government. You are supposed to bring peace to earth. I, I have so many people coming to me and they're saying, how can I serve God? And they, and they have a lens of a Sunday morning meeting. And all they wanted to do is, well, can I be on the steering team? Can I be on the worship team? How about we start up a ministry to eradicate prostitution from this city? How, how could your ministry be, well, I'm going to bring the light of God to my city, to my street, to my home, to my office? It's not a lesser task. It is the task. The task isn't to meet together, and please, we want to carry on meeting together, but that is not the task. The task is to transform a world so that it feels and acts like heaven itself. So how does this kingdom work? The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. This is what Jesus said. Nor will they say, look, here it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He also said this, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When sick are healed, 
kingdom has come close or come near. I would put that demon thing like this. Wherever you cast out evil, injustice, poverty, sickness, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God has just come upon that place and upon that individual. We're talking about saving individuals, not necessarily institutions, but saving individuals. I'm called to the broken. I was in in Czech Republic and... uh, doing some street work on the Czech Republic and end up going up to this gypsy woman. And it, it wasn't even my idea, it was my interpreter's idea that it'd be good, good to talk to her. So I'm talking to her and I'm getting a lot of religion back. She doesn't really want to encounter Jesus. She just wants to tell me how good she is and how poor she is. So I'm there and all I'm doing is I'm trying to bring this encounter. I want to inspire revival. I want her to encounter Jesus and her life to be changed. She just wants to encounter my wallet And it's very obvious. So I do what I normally do when I want to try and get out of the conversation. Just, right, well, I'll just pray for you. And and then I know I I can run away. Because I'm thinking, this is wasting my time. Getting nowhere. So I pray for her. And I pray for her needs. Because she's made it plainly obvious to me that she needs money. So I, I pray that she will get some money. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me of a scripture in James. Which says, if you pray for the poor and you have means to help them and you don't, then your prayer is useless. I'm going, but I don't want to, she's been manipulating me from the start. I don't want to give in to this manipulation. I, I, no, she can get lost. And then the words of Danny Silk come to me, which was, I refuse to, 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 for, to how I treat other people to be defined how they treat me. As in, it doesn't matter how people react to me. I'm still going to love them from heaven's heart. So I'm like, ah, yeah, that's not a great thing to be learners. But she's just going to waste it. Anyway, I have this little argument with, you know, Holy Spirit, but he's going to win. So I open my wallet, and I can't remember how much I gave her. I don't think it was, it was much. And I gave this lady some money. She put it in her hand, and immediately the presence of God fell on the place. She's crying. She's confessing her sin. We haven't talked about this stuff yet, and she's just going through following Jesus, and I'm leaving her with my... Uh, interpreter because I'm not needed anymore she's just doing it all herself why because I went and I met a need and I followed the direction of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of heaven just came that's what it's about I uh, I was in in France with with Lamia and uh, at the end of a, a meeting, this, this lady came up to me and, and she wanted healing for a broken finger from a skiing accident and she had some problem with her knees. Um, so she came up to me and I said, I don't want to pray for that. I want to pray for something else. Can, can you give me freedom to, to pray what I want? She said, yes. What I didn't realize at this point was her f- English wasn't as good as I thought it was. So anyway, she might, she might not have agreed. Anyway, I prayed for her, for her, and then I started praying into family situations and healing for, for stuff that her family had done to her. Turns out this lady had grown up a Muslim, and when she became a Christian, obviously she, she got persecuted by her family to an extent where they were poisoning her food because they wanted to kill her. She came out of that broken home and now has got an amazing husband. But as, I, as I'm praying all this healing and, and dealing with that situation um, through prayer, even though she doesn't seem to be understanding it, tears are flowing, whatever else. 
And so then, then after I've, I've prayed what I thought I needed to pray for, I grabbed her by the hands and, and, and said, how are you doing? And she went to her finger and went, it worked. Brilliant, it worked. Thank you for praying for my finger. And I said, I never prayed for your finger. Never prayed for it. What happened? She'd come to someone of the ecclesia. And I'm not saying I'm ecclesia because I'm church leadership. You are ecclesia. She'd come to God's government, God's judicial system on this earth. And she'd come with a problem. And I said, no, that's not the real problem. Let me deal with the real problem. But as the, as the Holy Spirit was just poured out upon her, as heaven came upon her, her finger, which was out of alignment, which needed healing, instantly gets healed, amazingly, without being praying, because she what? She was in heaven. The kingdom of heaven came upon her. Zacchaeus, let me show you, it's biblical. Zacchaeus, he's up a tree. He's the most hated person in the village. And Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I want to talk with you. I want to spend my lunchtime with you. And the rest of the town, sorry, not city, the rest of the town just goes mentally. It, tells, it says in the text that they're all grumbling. How come he gets it? He's not worth it. He's the worst person here. And then it's quite interesting because most stories about Zacchaeus don't seem to actually follow the biblical narrative. It says this, Zacchaeus got down from his tree and then as he's walking with Jesus, he stops. Before he even gets to his house, he stops. In other words, he just takes a few paces with Jesus and Zacchaeus stops because he has to do something. And what does Zacchaeus do? He turns around and says, everyone that I've ripped off, I'm going to give money back to. And I'm going to give money to the poor. Jesus hadn't said anything. All Jesus had said is, I'm going to have lunch with you. And gave him some honor and gave him some respect and showed him some mercy. But you see, when Jesus did that, when you're walking with Jesus, it's just you know. The conviction just comes upon you. The Holy Spirit just comes upon you. The, Holy, the heaven just opens up and you know, I need to do this. I need to, I need to get right. We're here to inspire revival and transform Communities. Hmm. Lee. You are a city transformer. The devil's trying to rip that away from you. But know today, those dark clouds are going. Those dark clouds are going. You are a city transformer. Don't do yourself any way lower. You are a city transformer. You are here to transform the earth into the kingdom of heaven. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are part of his chosen ecclesia. You have the authority and power over sickness, over debt, over all the evil in this world. Just where you're sitting in the moment, what is God asking you to do? Just have a moment to yourself. What is God asking you to do this morning? What is he asking you to transform? It may be something to do with your own family. Maybe something to do with your workplace. What is God putting on your heart this morning where you need to stand up, take responsibility, Stop complaining about the problem and solve it. Because you are his government on earth. You are his, there's no one else. You are his government on earth. 
Why do bad things happen? Well, his government allows it. Who did Jesus give all the power to? Us. Jesus stopped a storm. We can even do that. Why are we going into Bruff and Cot and Kingswood? Because we're not there going just to have a meeting. We're going there to transform a community. Tonight in Kingswood House, um, we're starting another location next week in Kingswood House on a Sunday night at 6 p.m. Why? Not because we just want to have more churches, because we want to transform Kingswood. There is a, a meeting tonight, 6 p.m., if, if you're up for it, if you, if you want to learn more about how to, to get involved with that, if you're interested in that and you've got a heart for Kingswood, 6 p.m. at Kingswood House tonight. But if not, why not go to Cottingham? Why not go to Bruff? If there's another area, why not go speak to Lamia or to Jonathan and say, I've got a heart for this place. I want to see this place transformed with the gospel. That could be your response this morning. Can I have the band back, please? I want to read Ephesians 1 again. Can you stand with me? What I've been hoping to do this morning is to readjust our thinking. For you to know that you're it. For you to know the authority that you have. Jesus says you are, the Bible says you're a co-heir with Jesus. As in whatever he has is yours. Whatever he has is yours. Let me read that scripture again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who falls all in all. You are the world's best hope. You are the body of Jesus on this earth. And you not only have that authority and responsibility, you have all the power that Jesus had. If you would just be full of it.